welcome to the Dialoguing Life podcast, the podcast designed to get you talking about the interesting and contentious parts of our life together. I'm Peter Nauta, and this is episode number two, a conversation with Chris Blair, who works at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. The discussion covers numerous topics, including his work with education outreach, communications, and social media for NASA. He also goes into detail about making a major career transition into NASA after working as a teacher for a number of years, and relates some life advice about that process. During the conversation, Chris references several online resources. Links to them, along with the rest of this show's notes, can be found at dialoguing.life. This podcast is part of the Dialoguing Life community, a place where people can share their experiences and discuss heated topics without the vitriol found on many social media sites. Let's get started. NASA obviously is a very large organization, a lot of centers, a lot of different job roles. So can you explain your role and the goals of your team or the, the group that you work with? Sure. I've been fortunate to work with NASA in a lot of different scenarios, offices, and multiple centers in different states. And so most recently, I work in the Office of Communications at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. So is it like a public relations arm then? Yeah, each center has, a, and they can call it different things. Uh, ours is called um, Strategic Analysis and Communications. And in that one uh, are different organizations. And so uh, currently, uh, like I mentioned, working in the community relations, um, the newsroom, I casually call it the newsroom, but that would be the Office of Communications. But you can think of it as traditionally, you know, the newsroom where they're writing media advisories, web features, news releases, uh, managing website and social media accounts. So that's one aspect of that overall office. And then the office I'm at now is community relations, stakeholder engagement. So yeah, I've seen you, like I saw you on NASA TV a little bit, and I know that you do sometimes with the Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain target? Like who are you communicating with? Who are you reaching out to? As a contractor, when I was uh, a contractor for NASA, I uh, worked in the newsroom at Marshall, and one of the responsibilities was social media platforms, and so all with federal oversight, and so we would work together as a team. Um, you think of what's really interesting, you think of your your social media platforms, everybody's got a Facebook or a Twitter or Instagram, so everybody's like, well, I know how to manage Facebook, I can do this, and it's a lot of work, it's a lot of time, it's energy, it's, uh, as we were talking about earlier, it's metadata and it's metrics and it's scheduling and it's multiple software systems and it's, uh, uh, you know, calculating a pulse and knowing message you want to share and how you want to say it days, if not weeks and months in advance. Um, it's not just what you're doing today and what you want to put on social media. Everybody's working together for a cohesive communication strategy. Nobody posts anything on their own. It's very well thought out and planned. Uh, there's a purpose behind everything that goes out. Uh, there's a larger story to tell. And so back to the idea that, yes, everyone has a page and it's easy to manage your page, but it's uh, a lot of work and energy and uh, strategic thought that goes into the, the government pages of NASA. Cool. And is it, it, I imagine it's not just what you're saying and how you're saying, which has to be, I'm sure, vetted by a few people. But what about, like, timing? I mean, you look at, are there certain times of the day where we want to post it so it goes up at a, a certain time? Yeah, the message is just as important as the timing of it sometimes. And every center could be different. Uh, you think about where all the centers are located, East Coast or West Coast. Uh, there are multiple states uh, across multiple time zones. 
And so you've got uh, an East Coast versus West Coast audience, some that are going to sleep, some that are waking up. And then it's a global message, a global brand. And so, you know, some of our most ardent supporters and fans are around the world and other nations and continents. And so your message can go out at any time and reach someone awake at somewhere at some time on the planet who's interested in what you have to say. Uh, for certain centers, you may have a core audience based on the state or the city uh, that you live in, the stakeholders that are maybe heavily engaged with you. Um, let's use the Kennedy Space Center for an example. So you're East Coast, you're in Florida, uh, you've got local universities, you've got local aerospace industry that live there. Uh, you've got tourists who are coming in to not only see maybe that Space Coast area, but also all the, the tourist sites that come along with being in Tampa or Jacksonville or Orlando. And so that core audience is there at a certain time. And so the message could be something related to a launch, if that's the case. And so you'll want to let people know uh, what's coming up, uh, when to watch a launch, or if they've been scrubbed into payloads and all that. And so your message would be shaped toward the events and then also the timing of that uh, for, for that launch, for example. Uh, and another center may have a different time frame of when we want to put something out. Uh, obviously, there's times that you may see as your peak, and that's part of the underside of the research that goes on. You just don't wake up and post any time you want to. Sometimes it's the more you post, the more engagement you might think you get, but it, that's not quite how we approach it. It's the quantity over quality, or I'm sorry, quality over quantity, uh, making sure you put out a good message and that it um, has all the aspects that we want to kind of highlight as an agency uh, or as a center. And so um, it, it's interesting work. It's uh, it's definitely a mix of a lot of, um, like I said, you work with a lot of different uh, you work with a lot of different offices because um, you're trying to tell more than just one story. So, for example, working in the newsroom, and if you're managing a center page, uh, a page for the Kennedy Space Center or the Johnson Space Center or uh, one of the science missions, New Horizons, uh, or the Dawn missions. And so multiple missions, multiple platforms, all need updated, uh, different people who are managing them. Uh, the spectrum is broad on time and, and, and content. Uh, when someone might want to talk about a New Horizons flyby of the next uh, Kuiper Belt object, which is like a year from now almost, then another mission would want to talk about the next rocket launch. And another mission may just have been announced. The spacecraft is still being built or will be built. And so it's just funny to have you have that whole timeline, like I said, that broad spectrum of message and when you want to share it and then, and then how you want to share it is, is just, you know, all those things are important. You don't put anything out there without thinking about what are you trying to say? What do you want to do? Everything is very well thought out and uh, specific. Interesting. I'd say, and I tell a lot of people, um, I'm lucky I, myself, I'm in school right now for to get a second master's degree in journalism. And I'm fortunate that, you know, at my age, I've got, you know, I've graduated one bachelor, got another master's degree. I'm working on another master's. And so as a lifelong student going back to school, I'm fortunate that I've got all this experience just from being older, you know. And I'm able to look back now and, and as I go through school, I'm like A's are easy to get. The master's degree 4.0 is not difficult at all. But that's because I'm fortunate to have all this life experience, you know, that I have at this age. Um, at 44 versus being 22 and it's, it's just a world of difference. And so I will, um, I will talk to the students, um, grad students in the classes 
and we'll just make little comments about different things. Like, here's something I learned, and here's another thing I picked up on. And everyone is so appreciative of it. First, they're excited to hear anything I have to say just because I'm fortunate enough to work with it for. And that always gets people's attention. And then when I tell them some little tidbit of life experience, um, that really seems to wake them up. And uh, an example I even gave today was someone who was wanting to go into uh, sports broadcast journalism. They want to be a sports reporter. And that's great. I think they'll be great at it. And kudos to them. And at 21 or 22, uh, you know, they got their whole life ahead of them. And so I mentioned my friends now who are sports reporters uh, and sports directors that I've grown up with, and they, they're in their 10th, 11th, 12th year of this business. One thing they've learned after 10 or 12 years of working is that sports and games and competitions are on the weekends, and that means you work the weekends. And that means your days off are usually different than your spouse's days off. And can you go through a decade of life never having the same days off as your wife or husband? And that that's a burden to be aware of. And it may not be something to think about when you're 21 or 22. But I've got friends who have realized that later on down the road, they want to get out of sports reporting because it's a weekend gig. Friday night high school, Saturday college, Sunday NFL, and then they get Monday, Tuesday off when their wife has gone to work or their husband has gone to work. And so um, those are the things you may not pick up on until you've either done them or know someone who has done them. You get all excited about a career and you don't look at the other things uh, that come along with uh, making those sacrifices. So I just actually mentioned that today to someone and they, um, they just thought that was interesting. And that was just me trying to help someone, you know, here's something to think about later on down the road. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you're a little bit older. You've been doing this now for about <laughs> 10 years. Well, not old, but no. Uh, <laughs> so obviously this wasn't your, your first job out of college. Uh, so what was your, what, what was your first degree in? Yeah, this is one of the more interesting things of, not that I have a hugely interesting life, but it's, uh, I first graduated with my bachelor's degree in music education and taught high school band for nearly 10 years. And so a high school band director, um, a little out of practice right now, but <clears throat> for the most part, if you give me an instrument and a day, I can come back tomorrow and play something for you on just about every instrument. So how do you parlay and translate that, you know, being a high school band director to working at NASA? And uh, the one simplest thing, I think, is just, uh, you know, you don't have to do the same thing all your life. You know, you found something that you're passionate about. And I was passionate about music growing up all my life. It was the only thing I was really passionate and great at. And I did that and I turned that into a career. And after 10 years of that, I realized there's more things I'm interested in. And I was able to translate that experience into working at NASA. Um, you you know, the whole scenario, you find something you like to do and you do it and you'll enjoy it. You'll be good at it because you like it and you're invested. And and I did that for a long time. And I realized there's other things that I can also be good at, too. And that's kind of uh, what I've done now is translate education as an educator to working for the NASA education office, um, starting at the Kennedy Space Center. And so. um <clears throat> that was the that was the parlay in is well, I was an educator and NASA has education needs and that might at first surprise people because they think NASA astronaut NASA rocket scientist but um, NASA has all sorts of careers and that's the one thing I would tell people in my years of work in the education offices uh, you know yes there are astronauts but someone has to build a rocket someone has to design a spacecraft 
and someone has to pay the electricity in the building, and that's usually someone from the accounting office, and they have a business management degree. We had someone, I think last November, who here had a booth on a major university, and some students were walking by, and uh, and he saw the booth, and he walked up, and he's like, "Why would I be interested in this? I'm just a, I'm just a graphic artist. I'm studying to be graphic design." And I was like, "Well, how do you think all these posters and the images on the websites and and you know all these things need to be designed by somebody? Astronauts don't do this. They're busy training to go, you know, on missions or." We've got scientists building, you know, spacecraft to uh, study, you know, deep space, and they're not designing, you know, the artwork for multiple different, uh, uh, you know, venues and events and activities. And so a lot of jobs, a lot of careers that really are, you think on each center, there's a security force and there's a fire department, there's medical uh, first responders of some kind. Uh, and so there's, there's literally the gamut of jobs um, back to graphic artists. Computer technicians, everybody at NASA, you know, most of them have a computer. And so when you have that many people with computers, you need lots of IT people. But then to the education office is one role we played was going out and talking to K-12 through students or talking to teachers. And so in the education office, if one NASA educator working on a NASA education contract went out and did a workshop and taught 10 teachers, then those 10 teachers can go teach 100 kids about a science mission. And so that number exponentially grows just by reaching out to a teacher and let them reach out to a student. And so lots of jobs, lots of career opportunities. And so myself going from high school band to working here now, it's, I mean, when I was in high school, I didn't think about working at NASA. I liked it and enjoyed it and it was cool. And I grew up sci-fi and liking Star Trek and all that, but I would have never thought I would have worked at NASA. And mainly because I don't think there was a place for me at the time. I didn't know there would have been a place. And so that's one big thing I try to tell people uh, back to the story of that kid on the major college campus with the graphic artist degree. Dude, there's a place for almost everybody that's, you know, in some way, shape or form. Um, marketing, advertising, you know, graphic artists. We have television studios, the computer experts, uh, you name it. So there's a lot of opportunity. And so that's kind of how I got there. Um, uh, translating education in the school system to education with NASA. And then my love for media, I was able to do NASA education to the NASA newsroom now. And so it's um, back to the idea that you can be passionate about more than one thing. And there's a way to, for you to make a career out of more than one thing. You can do it 10 years at a time, or you can try to merge them together. But I think that's the important thing. I've tried to tell some students that, you know, decide what you like now, but don't, give up on other things because um, you never know. Mm -hmm. If all goes well for me with this podcast, that's a <laughs> huge shift from what I was doing the last decade. So I, I, I'm curious with the, with, so the education outreach, like what, what kinds of groups did you reach out to? How did, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, NASA education at the time. Um, so NASA doesn't advertise. There's no commercials on television uh, as a government entity. They don't, spend their money on advertising. We spend it on, you know, spacecrafts and, and advancement of science technology. And so you won't see commercials out there, but people know who and what we are, you know, we're branded very well. Uh, our topics and subject matter is we're fortunate that it's engaging. So the story tells itself if you've got people who are excited to tell it, of which we are. And so one of the first methods is 
is um, reaching out to um, younger generations and get them excited and inspired about uh, scientific and engineering and mathematic and technology fields for years past. And there are opportunities for kids to come together and work on some challenge and then compete uh, toward, uh, you know, after they've completed the goal, whether it's some of them are building robots, uh, building actual rockets that launch, you know, one, two miles high in the sky. Um, some students even within the last several years have actually built, um, CubeSats and launched them from a space station as well as, um, I think some launches from, uh, uh, rockets as well. So you've got ground-based experiments to actual space-based experiments that have gone. Um, CubeSats are great and the rocket launches are great. Um, the robotic competitions that they have, um, there's a lot of different programs out there. And these are programs for multiple age students, and it's K through 12 students, and up to university and college. And so, you would think, um, just naturally, some people might think, well, you've got to be a college student to to do some of these events, and they're not. I mean, there are several middle school students and teams out there that have done some of this really sophisticated science. Um, like I said, talking about launching, uh, uh, you know, six to eight foot tall single stage rockets. And launch them a mile high to the sky, you know, over, you know, 5,000 feet. And they have um, scientific payloads on them that they're able to acquire data and then safely land on the ground. Then the CubeSats we mentioned earlier. And so uh, uh, the robotic mining competition, there's a, the rover challenge, there's student launch. There's multiple things to do. And they branch out and target different things. So uh, community college being a perfect one, There's there's been for several years now. Uh, a targeted outreach to community college students who are getting the, the first two years of four. And so, uh, again, back to the idea that people think NASA, they may think astronaut, and that's it, and where's the place for me? And so some people may also incorrectly think, NASA, I need a four-year aerospace degree. And as we talked a minute ago, obviously that's not the case because there's multitudes of jobs that have to be done. And so that's the idea of like reaching out to a, a community college uh, and, you know, letting them know here's something specific. Uh, there's been a lot of outreach targeted toward, um, like, historically black colleges, minority-serving institutions, uh, tribal colleges, universities, uh, as well as any kind of underserved and underrepresented um, institutions, K-12 through or, or higher ed, and, and targeted things, you know, whether it's a NASA program or something that NASA supports or just uh, is involved with. Um, just to show that there's opportunities. And so that outreach that we would do, uh, some of it would be hosting those events. They can be at different centers, and, and they are. Uh, each center has their own events um, that we would go and set up booths and exhibits at multiple venues where we know kids are going to be at. Um, and anywhere where we think kids are going to be, we'll set these booths. And so it could be um, uh, science shows and science fairs. Um, Anything that's going to be like the National Science Teachers Association or a state-based association, you know, the, we're in California now, so uh, California is going to have a, a Science Teachers Association, a Math Teachers Association. Those teachers are going to get together once a year, and that's a place where we would want to be because that's where math teachers are. And math teachers are going to inspire another generation of math geniuses, and we would like to get them talking about, you know, aerodynamics and orbital mechanics and, and all that. And so. Um, Going to those places, that's how you do face-to-face, real-time 
engaging communication and not just here's a pamphlet or here's a website. Uh, kids get to do stuff, see stuff. There's always some kind of hands-on events and activities uh, to try to get that spark. And so that's that's definitely helped. Um, and so I think the agency's done that really well. But uh, there's a lot of people out there that are doing that work. And, you know, that's one thing I've been fortunate enough to do for a while. Cool. Now, what about the, the flip side? Say somebody, you know, hears about this or listening to the podcast and they, whether it's that they have, you know, a, a child or, or friend or someone who's a student that they think would benefit from this or they're a teacher and they think would benefit from this. Like, are there, are there a lot of resources for them to, to try to bring some of these ideas into, into their school? Yeah, the easiest, quickest, fastest stuff to access is going to be online, uh, either through a website um, or through um, some apps, um, maybe Flash-based games that will be online. But there's a lot of um, what they call educator guides or whatever the national standards are for, uh, and even for your state, so an educator and a teacher can look at them and see, here's the grade range and here's the outcomes and the objectives and the goals. and and so that's very specific. Um, a parent can do that as well. Uh, but that's a classroom resource. But then also online, uh, you know, there's the ability to look up some of these these education opportunities that exist. And even just kind of correlate them by age range, uh, whether it's a university-based project or, uh, you know, a middle school age project. So uh, the website, nasa.gov. Uh, it might be NASA.gov slash education, but if you Google NASA education, you'll be able to get to it. And somewhere through those websites, you'll find uh, the various resource guides, educator guides, the various um, challenges that are out there. And there's right now, currently, there's an email express they send out. It's a blast that goes out, I think, once a week, so it's not tons of spam kind of deal. Uh, it's called NASA Education Express, if I'm not mistaken. And so that's a quick resource. But yeah, lots of things out there, but that's that's kind of the you know the hang up with anybody, you know, with any organization is telling people where to go and hey, we got all this cool stuff. Where do you want to go find it? I think that's something we've done a really good job of. Um, all the events that I was mentioning earlier, uh, you know, they're well attended. And they seem to get bigger every year. There's always something cool going on, and kids seem to benefit from it and enjoy it and uh, learn a lot. And so it's been, uh, yeah, it's been successful. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Chris about his journey into NASA. Links to the education resources just referenced can be found in the show's notes page at dialoguing.life/2. Dialoguing Life is a community that engages in civil dialogue on life's many issues. If you have opinions or questions about this episode, please drop by to share them. And now, back to the conversation. Uh, are there any common misconceptions that you're doing specifically with NASA or just NASA in general that you find yourself clearing up a lot or would like to clear up? Okay, so the first one to clear up would be that NASA hasn't gone away. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of people would say, and I've heard it. I mean, so I know uh, on NASA, once the shuttle, space shuttle quit flying, NASA just quit. But obviously that's not the case. That The space shuttle, great 30-year program that it was, I mean, 30 years, that's, you know, it was most of my life for a long time. Um, you know, it came to an end. 
but it was one program of many programs. That's why they called it the space shuttle program. It's not the, it wasn't the NASA program. Uh, the space shuttle program when it ended was one thing, but it was just one of many. And so going out and showing people, um, all the work that we do, I think that surprises a lot of people. Um, it's easy to back in the day to see a space shuttle and, you know, it's very visual as always on television. Um, but all the other work wasn't always aired maybe as much. It was always out there, but you know, you have to go find things sometimes, I guess. And so you talk about all the multiple different space missions and the satellites and, uh, uh, discovery missions and new frontier missions and um, in South Florida, the underwater training facility that they have to kind of get astronauts experienced to, um, you know, long duration uh, exposure away from their family in a closed contained environment. Um, so all those things have continued for the longest time. So that was probably one misconception. Second thing that I find happens a lot, uh, again, in just my opinion, is people aren't aware that there are NASA centers all across the country. Uh, they think, rightfully so, you know, if you've been exposed to modern-day media television, I guess, is there's the Kennedy Space Center, you know, where they launch things and named after a president, most people know. And there's the Johnson Space Center that people are probably aware of because of the movie Apollo 13. And that's great. That when we tell people, oh, did you know there's a space center in Alabama? Did you know there's, you know, one in Ohio? Did you know, you know, there's California and Maryland and Virginia? <laughs> we started the name off the states. And people didn't know that. They don't know that. Uh, a lot of people don't. And they're surprised when they realize that there's one within hours of their house or a relative's house or something. So that's a big, maybe not misconception, but just a, a lack of awareness that NASA is agency-wide. And that um, most centers, uh, or at least many centers, um, each center has some kind of visitor center associated with it where the public can go and see what's going on. And so, um, you know, it's a ticket price. It's a, like a museum for each, for the centers that have one. Uh, Alabama has one as well. It's called the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. So many of the NASA centers have one that's probably in your area. You can go see. It's a chance to kind of get a behind-the-scenes tour of what's going on and get some uh, insight into the agency, the history. They do a great job at the visitor centers of really telling the the whole, you know, past, present, future story. And then they are a great resource. You mentioned earlier, like how to get content and resources and activities. And so that's another perfect place to go. Those are two misconceptions. Um, NASA's still here doing amazing, great things that blow people away when they hear about it. And they're in multiple states, you know, all across the place. Yeah, another one, uh, by here at JPL, they'll, every year, yeah. they'll do like a, an open house that, uh, frankly, gets super crowded, which is good to see the excitement. And they'll yeah, take you all, take people all back through all different parts of the center, show off what they're doing, make people aware of, hey, these are some of the missions that we have going on. Here's some of the technology that we're working on. Pretty cool stuff. That's great. And they leave happy you know, with an understanding of what's going on. You want to create champions. You can inform people make people aware of something. And that's great. I mean, you know, knowledge is power kind of deal. Uh, but there's multiple steps to that. You can make someone aware and informed. You can make them a champion for your cause or a catalyst for your cause. But you got to start somewhere. And we, you don't want to weed anybody out. You want to, there's a, you find a place for them. And so the broader you can bring people in, there's probably companies that want to choke hold and throttle the exhaust of that, I guess. And and, you know, the cream of the crop rises kind of scenario, I mean, I would imagine. Um, 
just speaking for me, I mean, I would, I think that there's a place for everybody in some way, shape, or form. And so I don't think that pipeline is designed to weed out anybody. I think it's designed to find how you can be a champion of that message. What's the best way for you to tell it? I am not going up on a rocket anytime soon, but I can help tell the story, uh, inspire other people, or encourage a, a teacher to inspire a student who can build those rockets, or doing a story, uh, a web feature on, we mentioned of the New Horizons mission, that uh, next New Year's Eve is the flyby date of that. So the 2019 flyby date, January 1st, is, um, if you hadn't heard that, that's going to be a huge party. Uh, for NASA and everybody, the Apollo 11 50th anniversary is next year. It's going to be a big deal. People are going to like to talk about that. And so um, if me telling someone that and that excites someone else to go, well, I want to do that. Or I want to at least help someone do that. Again, I'm not going to Mars, but I can't wait for someone to go to Mars or to go back to the moon. The quicker I help them, the quicker everybody can go, I think. <laughs> Well, it's the idea of, you know, you mentioned earlier, some some people look at it as, well, we want the cream to rise to the, the top. But there's also the other way of looking at it of, hey, a rising tide, all the boats rise together. Yeah, there you go. It's a good way to put it. And there's a place for everybody. You can Everybody can help out in some way, shape, or form, even if it's... Um... So I travel with my wife a lot, and everywhere I go, I just carry NASA stickers with me, just because. I mean, it's a branding thing. People like it. It's always engaging, and I'm always looking to um, to just, you know, excite somebody, I guess. And so I think it's some of the last places we've been. So we're in Germany. Actually, we were at Brussels at this time. And there's a guy at the cafe, you know, young guy. He's 23, 24 with his crew. And he's got a NASA bomber jacket on that, you know, just he bought at a store somewhere, but it's cool. So I gave him a couple stickers, and the look on his face was amazing. He, you know, I mean, everybody thinks that you must be an astronaut. <laughs> when you show up doing stuff like that, but they just got such a kick out of it. You know, here's your stickers, and, and you tell them, yeah, I work for NASA, and I just thought it was cool that you're wearing a NASA shirt, so um, I gave you a jacket. I'm sorry, I gave you a sticker. People dig that. It, it's a pretty cool thing when you get a chance to talk to people about it. Um, the space age kind of thing is here where they tell people that every kid in high school, basically, or uh, not even that, every kid K-12, through someone has lived on the space station like every day of their life. Because someone's been on space station every day since before, um, since like 2000. And so, uh, like, I can't say that growing up. You know, there's things in space. Well, it's not these people, but, you know, 24-7, 365, someone's living on the space station, an American and a Russian, all the time, constantly, forever. And it's been that way for, you know, for so long now, for, like I said, going on 17 years, 15 years. Um, and so that's the age of space exploration. I mean, people are always up there, what's going to be next kind of thing. And what, not only what are we doing, maybe as a, as a government agency or to see the commercial industry do, what are other nations doing as well and the successes that we have working together? Um, I'm just excited to see where it goes and what's the next thing. You know, and, and when you talk to people, uh, especially when you go to other countries, because other countries have space programs. And so, um, you know, they're excited to see you because they know what NASA's up to. We'll start to wind this down then. The high and the low and the, the big lesson learned. So whether you want to do your whole time with NASA or, you know, a certain chapter of that, what would you say the, the high and the low moments were for you? So like experience, high-low experience? Yeah. I'm I'm fortunate. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm lucky. Uh, uh, I, I was in the right place at the right time, and enough people believed in what I was doing and capable of to give me a job. 
uh, I mean, uh, I've done a lot. It's, it's hard to put the, the top of like what would be the best thing you've done. Um, I've had a chance to introduce Fred Hayes, uh, Paul 13 astronaut, um, one time at an event. That was cool. Um, got the medium again later on down the road, but a chance to hang out with him in the same room, talk to him and introduce him in front of a crowd. Remember, it's very cool. Chance to meet Gene Krantz from the Apollo programs, uh, work with him. Chance to meet um, Harrison Smith just a couple of months ago. So these are all Apollo astronauts, um, which is amazing. I like where I've ended up. I really don't you know the whole back to the future scenario. Do you go back and change anything? I don't, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm happy not only with a job from Kennedy that led me to Texas, uh, led me to meet my wife. And then from there, I was able to get married in Texas and then move on to the current job we have in Alabama. And so um, had it not been for that, I wouldn't have met my wife. NASA has not only been a good career, uh, good exposure, good opportunities to go and meet, see rocket launches and space shuttle launches. And so are the two things that's great for me to, I mean, I'll to have my wife out of this whole deal. So that's probably been my high thing out of that is just that scenario. So would you go back and change anything in your life knowing that it wouldn't lead you to one that led you to another that led you to another that you know, the random luck of me being in the city in Houston of millions of people and meeting my wife at that one time. Uh, had I not taken the first job at Kennedy, I wouldn't have ended up in Texas. So I would have been someplace else. Um, so that would definitely be the high for me. That and the Apollo astronauts. <laughs> Of which my wife met both of them too, so I had to make sure uh, I make sure she gets a chance to beat and see these things as well. Um, low, low is tougher. Um, I don't know if I can come up with a low for working here, working with Nessa. Yeah, and if not, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's a good sign. Yeah, no, it's continually ranked. You know, one of the best federal agencies to work at. Um, everyone I've worked with is great. All the centers are great. The people are great. Um, opportunities have been great. I mean, it's a job like anything else. And so, yeah, there might be something, you know, like any other day-to-day stuff that people do in an office of other people. Um, I'm fortunate that there's nothing really to complain about. And if there ever really was, it's usually not a big deal. And why would I worry about it? It's not going to help. There's more important things to deal with. So, I mean, for the most part, yeah, it's there's never really been an issue with any kind of low. Which is fortunate. I mean, yeah. like I said, anything that would be perceived would be, you just shrug it off and be like, eh, that's just life in general. And then you look at where could you be had it not been for this or that? Or what other, you know, people have it, you know, a lot rougher and tougher. And so um, I don't think that helps me progress in any way, but I'm fortunate for what I have. And, you know, people, you know, karma and maybe, you know, I don't know about all that, but I just don't complain about a lot and, and be grateful for what I have. <laughs> Well, I think that's important, and obviously some great things to be grateful for, but I I think that's an important thing that gets overlooked sometimes in society. People are too often looking for what's the next thing, you know, what's the next accomplishment or what's the next material thing or, you know, whatever that that next thing is. And and I think it's real important to stop and take stock and be appreciative for what you do have. I mean, that's so true. I have more than... Well, I have more than what my parents ever had. And I, I probably use that a lot. My wife and I always talk about this is, um, and not that we are in any way, shape, or form, you know, rolling in cash and benefits galore of, you know, whatever you think a benefit would be. But, but I mean, we're lucky and, you know, we're healthy and we have a good life and we get to see our family and, and it, it's, it's all about perspective. 
we give back, you know, a lot of different places. We do a lot of charity work. Uh, we're big animal lovers. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with um, our uh, local animal shelters and whatnot. But it's, you know, what people have and don't have. And so we're you know, very grateful. Now, we work hard. My wife works hard. I work hard. Uh, and a lot of time and energy to get where we are. But um, it's paid off. And so we're fortunate about that. And that's one of the things I tried to, I mentioned earlier. I tried to tell these kids in these classes um, the whole idea of you're excited about it. You'll, if you're passionate, other people will see that passion. And, you know, the other thing, life's not fair. I mean, you know, you might find yourself a lot of times going, oh, I wish, you know, this and that. And that, that, that. I mean, it's just, it's not fair and there's nothing you can do about it. And you can just do your best and be happy with what you got. And maybe you can control some things and shape some things. But at a point in time, you have to realize what's out of your control. You know, try, you know, if you're passionate about something, people will see it and hopefully you'll get rewarded at it. But it doesn't mean you will. You could be the hardest working grad student, you know, in this program that uh, these students are working in or these internships and you may not get that job you thought you were going to get. That doesn't mean you didn't deserve it or earn it or benefit and learn a lot from it. Fortunately, life's not fair. You didn't get that position. But don't beat yourself down about it and think that it was something you did. Once again, it's just, you know, sometimes it's a crapshoot. Cool. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up then. Any, any, uh, Big lessons you've learned? Um, for me, I would say um, I'm a lifelong learner, and so I like going to school. I like learning things. Going back, like I said, I got a bachelor's and a master's, then got another master's, and I got some college certificates. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is, like I mentioned, is that you don't have to have just one career. You can do multiple things. You can go back to school at any time you want. I mean, I, I got my bachelor's out of high school like everybody else. And then I waited a few years and I got a master's. And then a few more years and I'm getting another master's. And I toyed with, like, do I get a doctorate or a master's? And I learned I don't want to get a doctorate in something I'm already good at and just be better at that one good thing. I'd rather get a master's in a whole other subject. It'd be that jack of all trades or Jill of all trades if you're a girl. And so like I might have a music education degree and then journalism degree and uh, elementary education degree. And I might get an uh, MBA over here. And so when it's all said and done, I like that broad spectrum. And I think, I mean, I didn't think that when I was younger. You know, you get a job, you decide what you want to do kind of thing, and that's what you do all your life. But it just never dawned on me at any time growing up that you could do multiple jobs and careers. Um, so, yeah, I did 10 years as an educator. I'm in my 11th year with NASA, uh, of which some of it was NASA education, but now it's the newsroom, communications, external relations kind of stuff. And so that's one of the biggest lessons was um, you don't have to decide everything you're ever going to do at 21 because, good Lord, if that was the case, I mean, I don't know what the world would be like um, if everybody was just pigeonholed into one thing at 21 and you were done. Unfortunately, we grow and expand and find uh, other things. And that could be, you know, relationships that change your mind. It could be uh, just exposure, moving to a new city or state, and you see a new, which is what happened to me. I moved to a new city and a new state, and a new opportunity presented itself because I was not where I was originally at. Just a change of location. New people come in your life. I think that's one of the more important ones. You don't have to decide. You can have more than one hobby and turn that into a career. And who knows? I might go back at a point in time to want to go back into music in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, that's that's probably one of the most important things. Um, not just one. You can do a bunch of different things in your life. Cool. Yeah, that's a good one. Seems like a good note to end on. Thank you for your time. That was great. I appreciate it. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chris about his work at NASA and the career transition that took him there. Notes and discussion about this episode can be found at dialoguing.life slash two. 
Dialoguing Life is a community for productive conversations where people can share their experiences and discuss heated topics without the vitriol found on many social media sites. Join the conversation at dialoguing.life. Thanks for listening. Thank you.